Stop trying to be an entrepreneur. Your mindset tells me you're an employee. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in here. We are already at the end of January. Can you believe that? You know, it seems like just a blink of an eye, we've flipped into a new year, and here we are, almost at the end of the first month. Well, welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion. That's going to be important today in the discussion we're going to have here. The deciding what kind of life you want to live, then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. You know, I know that's kind of counterintuitive. Worked with a young lady this week, you know, and we were talking about the idea of planning your life first. Plan your life first. What kind of life you want to live? Then you can look at all the options for the work that you want to do. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be talking about today. Well, questions and comments. Here's, here's somebody says, my absolute number one problem is that I'm very lazy. We're going to look at that kind of in detail. Dan, I want to change my mindset and my value. My head gets it, but my heart doesn't. What happens if you know you're not charging adequately for the value you provide? Somebody wants to know, are there ways I can monetize my leadership, coaching, writing, asking meaning and powerful questions? Yes, 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 and yes. Dan, I'm sending out my resume and almost never get any response. I got a little clip from our friend Pierce Mars, an audio clip. Our son graduated debt-free and then went on a missions trip for two years. I can't wait for you to hear how he was able to do that. It addresses a couple ongoing recurring issues that we deal with here. And we got that good news and a whole lot more. Here's our quotation for today. Now this is going to be kind of central to our conversation. This comes from Anthony Robbins who says people are not lazy. They simply have impotent goals. That is goals that do not inspire them. And we're going to look at that. I mean, I, I totally believe that. If you have something that inspires you, golly, laziness just isn't an issue because you want to do that which inspires you. Now, at any level, I mean, if you know, running a marathon inspires you, you're going to get out there and run even when it's cold to train. I mean, if creating a piece of art inspires you, you're going to be eager to go and do that. You're not going to sit in a corner, you know, wishing that you didn't have to go pick up the, the, the paintbrush. Not at all. Well, we'll talk about how that is played out. Now, a couple of good news items as always is this cute, you know, with all the cold weather we've had in parts of the country, uh, there were some clever kids that were leaving amusing bribe on their superintendent's doorstep in hopes of scoring a snow day. This is kind of cute. The first round of please call school off tomorrow. Candy has arrived. Students in my neighborhood really want a snow day. They remembered my favorite. This comes from one of the principals. Super, superintendent, Dr. Aaron Corman of Hillsborough Schools in Missouri, tweeted a photo of a mysterious package that was found on his doorstep during last week's snowy cold snap. 
The special delivery consisted of seven Reese's peanut butter cups and a note that simply said, you know what to do. Isn't that cute? You know what to do. Well, people know that Reese's peanut butter cups is his favorite. So they left the note that you know what to do. There were, oh, there's somebody else. Also, another superintendent to get that uh, posted a similar photo of a box of Frosty Nerds candy left on his doorstep last week. The enclosed note read, don't be a nerd. Well, the cute things that kids can do to try to get out of school. You know, that's another issue. And I've got a guest that I'm going to be uh, talking with here in the near future. There's a brand new book out called Courage to Grow. And I'm going to be talking to Laura, the author of that, about a new innovative way that we have available that she's created to educate kids where kids are begging to go to school instead of the other way around. Well, we'll save that for another day. Here's another note. There's a teenager who was caught buying coats for homeless people. Now I say he was caught. Somebody just happened to take a snapshot because they saw him at a Goodwill store and he was buying several jackets. This is a 19-year-old African-American kid. He paid for a bunch of the store's secondhand winter coats. And a stranger in the line struck up a conversation with him and realized he was simply buying the coats for the homeless members of his community, right in his neighborhood. So he took $67 of his own money, went in and bought all the coats that he could with that, and then gave them out to homeless guys. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, and know that there are people doing that thousands of times every day, unnoticed, or it doesn't get on social media. Not all of those do, obviously. That's not the point. But uh, it's nice to know that the people doing that, even people with limited resources. So it's not just, you know, the millionaires giving things away. It's people who have very little, who often are more generous with their resources. Now, here's another note has to do with the homeless, really. After Denver hired homeless people to perform day jobs for the city, more than 100 landed regular jobs. Now, I love the whole concept of this. Let me just give you the details. Ever since the government of Denver launched a program that paid homeless people to work for the city, 284 people have participated over the course of the last year. Now, 110 of those participants have found long-term work as a result. 15 of those were actually hired by the city. The Denver Day Works Program, which launched on November 1st, uh, just a little more than a year ago, 2016, paid homeless residents $12.50 per hour to perform public service work for the city. No background checks were required. I mean, they just simply put them to work. Well, you know, twelve fifty an hour. What is that? My gosh, that's $600 a week. That's pretty cool. They just had to show up. And because they were then engaged in work, others observed what they were doing. I mean, the work varied from mulching flower beds in the Denver parks to performing clerical work at the local library. And the, the city paid for over 10,000 hours of work. But in doing so, inspired people to actually be candidates. I mean, mindset has so much to do with your being a candidate to be attractive to an employer. And if you're really kind of down and out, that can be very transparent. But if you're engaged in something meaningful, it can give you a positive confidence, boldness, enthusiasm. And you're inspired to come across in that way, which makes it attractive to potential employers that's uh, that's a pretty cool program and for them to you know knowing what the cost 
that are incurred to a city are for caring for homeless in various ways to get uh, 110 people out of being homeless into jobs. That's a great example. Thank you, Denver. Now, I want to pull up this audio. I want to have this audio. I want to do this right at the top here that Pierce Mars sent me. Now, Pierce has been a longtime friend. Uh, Pierce is a business coach. He's a sales guy. He does a Shark Tank podcast. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that he's got going on. But this is with their son, Nathan. And I want you to hear this. It's a very concise presentation of, a, of two ongoing issues that we deal with again and again and again. Check this out. Hi, Dan. Pierce Mars here. I just want to thank you for all that you do. And you serve so generously with this podcast. I never miss it. It's one of the bright spots of my week. And I absolutely love your good news segment. I wanted to briefly share the journey of my son, Nathan, with your audience, because I believe it addresses two reoccurring themes from your listeners. One is student loan debt, and the other is being called to God's service. My younger son, Nathan, visited China on a mission trip when he was a senior in high school. He came home with a heart for the Chinese people, and you know, he said he wanted to go back at some point, possibly for an extended period of time after college. When he was deciding what college to attend, he looked at some expensive private schools like Belmont here in Nashville. As Lisa and I discussed the options with him, we told him that it would be difficult to go to a private school without incurring some kind of student loan debt. We also reminded him that the loans would come due a few months after graduation and limit his options and freedom to travel because he would be required to seek employment and begin paying back the loans. He chose Middle Tennessee State University. He applied for a college and for scholarship money, and he began his college journey. But Nathan never lost his passion for China and felt God was calling him to go back for two years after he graduated. Well, I asked him how he would finance two years of mission work, and he said he would seek support from our local church and other people to make this happen. Well, Dan, I recall clearly sitting in the front yard of your home as the sun was setting one evening, and you asked Nathan the same question. When he responded, you gently encouraged him to find a way to make this happen without seeking the help and support of other people. Well, a few months later, Nathan was so excited to give me the news that he had been contacted by some friends who were missionaries in China, and the local university was needing American college graduates to teach communication English to their students. Nathan simply had to have a college degree and a teaching certification that could be obtained online. They also agreed to pay for his airfare to China. They provided him with an apartment rent-free with all the utilities paid, plus a monthly salary. And, believe it or not, they needed him to sign up for two years. He only had to provide his food and transportation while he was there. Well, Nathan graduated from MTSU with a degree in business marketing, 100% debt-free. He took the summer to prepare and left for China in August of that same year. With few expenses, he saved the majority of his income while he was there, and after fulfilling his obligation to the university and his mission work to God, he took a five-week trip across Europe on the way home. He went to the Holy Land and swam in the Dead Sea. He visited Bavaria, Germany, and just happened to be sitting in a pub while they won the World Cup. He took a boat to Venice, Italy with some friends. He visited London and took a train to Scotland. He stopped in New York for a few days before returning home to Tennessee with money in his pocket to start his life after China. We are believers. You can get an education without incurring debt, and if God wants something done, he will find a way. Thank you, Dan, again for all that you do. 
Thank you, Pierce. And that, my friends, is how you do it right. Now think about that. Two major issues there. Student loan debt, which we hear stories week after week after week here. Just heartbreaking stories about people trapped who were sold a myth and incurred unreasonable student loan debt and now are limited in terms of what they're able to do because of that. Nathan Mars did that part right. Didn't go to a fancy college. Went to one that was local where he could afford to pay for it without incurring any debt. And then the other issue, being called to ministry. Golly, that's admirable. Do that. Be creative. Figure out a way to make it work. Don't just expect because you want to do that, that other people ought to pony up money for you to live on. Well, there's creative ways to do it. Great example. Thanks so much for for sharing that. Now, I want to share a question here from somebody, and this kind of ties back into the quotation that we used today from Tony Robbins. Now, this comes from, well, gentleman's name is Jeremy. He says, I'm reaching out to you because you are a life motivational personal development coach and catalyst. Let me preface this by saying I know it's a mental problem and I should just get over it. It's just never been easy for me. Now, I've communicated with Jeremy. You can be sure of that as we go through this. Jeremy says, I retired from law enforcement December 2016, too early to start receiving a pension so that I could start my own business, something I've always wanted to do. Though things started picking up in late summer and early fall, they really slowed and I've not picked up and I've not picked up in January as I had hoped. My absolute number one problem is that I'm very lazy. My laziness has cost me time, money, customers, goals, and so much more. I truly am not sure how to get past it. I put in a scant few hours of lazy work every day instead of 12 plus hardcore hours of building my business. Uh, For example, I have projects that I've not gotten to that I'll get paid good money for and completed. I've been procrastinating and creating my largest prospect proposal to a client yet. I know the things that need to be done. I'm just not getting them done. I don't know how to fix this. For example, I sell people on inboard marketing, getting yourself out there, blogging and much more, but I'm not doing any of it myself. I retired in December of 2016. I should have a minimum of 52 blog posts. I have none, zero. Um, I had a great opportunity to join a renowned speaker last year, but it fell through because I didn't do the work. I've created goals such as writing ebooks, launching my marketing agency, launching a podcast, and so much more, but I never saw them through. I often lack confidence in my own abilities because I've not completed the marketing books and courses I set out to complete. I do know that I'm smart enough to be very successful. I wish I could afford a coach that would be on my butt every single day, but I'm afraid I just ignore them or fire them anyway. I used to read a lot of personal development books goes on not doing that anymore i can read books have some wins attend a conference all to be temporarily motivated i know what i want i even know how to get there i know the cost if i fail i just wish i had more drive persistence discipline focus determination passion obsession etc i'm almost 47 years old and this has been a lifelong problem for me i've prayed hard for many years for god to give me the discipline i need in all areas of my life I wonder if it's something that God gives us, but we, if it's not something God gives us, but we give God, that's an interesting 
dichotomy. Uh, Yes, I know it's a mental problem and I should just get over it. I should stop making excuses. Just decide to work hard. Stop being selfish. Stop being lazy. Have more discipline and just do the real work. I know all that. I know it's all in my head. But for me, the struggle is real. I do want a nonstop energy, laser-focused determination that pushes me really hard. How do I get there? Well, Jeremy, I love the way you've laid it out. And, And really you've so clearly identified the problem and the solution. This is very much an inner game. No one can force you from the outside to change those things you so clearly lay out. I mean, if you can't direct yourself to get out enthusiastically every morning, then the best option, get a job. Get a job where they tell you when to show up every morning. They show you what to do. They reward you or penalize you immediately for doing or not doing what they say. I mean, you can't survive as an entrepreneur with the challenges you describe. And there's no competent coach who would attempt to take on that responsibility. You're sharing as you've shared with me here should scare away any potential coach. I mean, coaches don't come in, hold your hand, kick you in the butt every morning and check in with you every 10 minutes to make your, sh- that's not coaching. That's not, I mean, that's total. I mean, there, there are environments that do that and, and they're not pleasant, but that's not coaching for somebody who's on track to success. Now, so really what I suggest is that you doing the things you describe, you know, start doing those or just stop trying to make yourself something you're not. But now here is the real critical component, and it has to do with the quotation that we use from Tony Robbins, who said, people are not lazy. They simply have impotent goals. That is goals that do not inspire them. There's something about what you say your goals are and this desire to have your own business that's not authentic. If it really came from your core abilities and engaged your passions, I don't think you'd be dealing with these things. I mean, if you are really passionate about something, you don't avoid it. You don't waste time not getting to it. You get to it. So I think you need to reevaluate. Is this something that is really a blending of what you know about yourself? Or is it just something you chose as a way that you thought you could make a little business of your own? Believe me, the challenges of being an entrepreneur are too great, too varied, too many to try to make yourself do something that you don't really care about. You have to be passionate about it. Now, there's a lot of discussion about that out there. I realize that. And people say, yeah, that's too self-centered. It won't work. Well, I just simply maintain my position that without passion, you can't sustain something like that. You won't keep up with it. Now, I want to go a little bit farther with this. Most of you are familiar with the story of the 10 talents. It comes from the Bible. In Matthew 25, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. And it starts out, you know, be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, what happened? You know, the guy that got five bags, put it to work and got five more. The one that got two bags got two more. But the man who received one bag went out, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. So after a while, the master came back to settle his accounts 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. His master said, you wicked, lazy servant. You know, you should have at least put the money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have had it back with interest. I saw a sign the other day. I was sitting eating lunch and there was a sign at the building next door in front of a bank and it says 1.4% interest. I thought, oh my gosh, are they, are they really bragging about that? Are they thinking that's going to be attractive? I mean, 1.4% interest on money. I'd rather put it in a tin can, have it handy under my bed mattress, but there's certainly things, but this guy, I guess this story in the Bible, he could have at least done that, taken it down to the local bank in Franklin, Tennessee and gotten 1.4% interest on it. I mean, that's just pathetic, but uh, it is what it is. Well, the point here is when the master distributed his wealth, and, and we, it's hard to know how much wealth this would have been. Jesus was just talking in terms of a parable, telling a story, but apparently it would have been a lot of, a lot of wealth. The thing is, there wasn't a lot of instruction given. There, there really is nothing that we have access to at all. He didn't tell them anything to do. He didn't tell them to maintain, you know, work in the farm that they were on or, you know, make sure the vineyard was taken care of. None of that at all. He just said, here's some money. Take care of it for me. It takes a lot of initiative. It takes a lot of personal discipline and focus in order to be good stewards of what we have access to. And if you need somebody to look over your shoulder to tell you what to do, my gosh, then by all means, you know, be, be a good employee, go in the military. They'll tell you when to get up and when to go to bed and everything in between, but don't branch out into doing something totally on your own. Just don't do that. Now, I I don't want to be hard on Jeremy. He did reach out afterward. I've communicated with him. He says, um, he says the message I sent was after several days of frustration, disappointment, all which could have been avoided with some more hustle on my part. I'm working through it. Thanks for taking time to respond. I want to encourage Jeremy, but I want to go back to that original point. Anyway, I question whether this is a good focus, Jeremy, for your efforts, your hard work. If it doesn't inspire you and energize you any more than that, I wonder if it's a right fit. Well, hey, just a quick note there, just to remind you, after that, we'll take a little breather here, remind you, these are real-life questions from people just like you and me out here in the trenches, making things work, testing new things, experimenting, taking advantage of new opportunities. Hey, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but what a thrilling adventure we all get to, to live in today's work environment. If you got a question, just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com, and you can just, you can go to askdan.com. Uh, 
well, you can go to the podcast link at 48days.com and leave an audio message there if you want. I usually condense those into short text anyway, but uh, you can just shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. Love to hear both your successes and your challenging questions. We'll unpack them here today in ways that hopefully will help um, you and others listening as well who will be in the same situation. Now, this comes from Benny. He says, Dan, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. My family grew up Amish until I was 11. With your background, I'm thinking you can understand where I'm coming from. My father still to this day doesn't charge enough for what he does. He does electrical and plumbing and general handyman stuff. I run a small construction company and find myself always cutting people deals. I want to change my mindset on my value. My head gets it, but my heart doesn't. How do I start believing my value and not give people discounts? I specialize in log homes. Keep four guys busy year round here in Michigan. Thanks for your time, Benny. Benny, man, I love your question. Yeah, I, I so understand that. I understand the mentality that comes out of that culture. Now, in the Amish Mennonite culture, which I grew up in as well, there's kind of the anticipation, the expectation, the theological overlay that eh, be careful about having too much money. Money opens the door to a lot of dangerous things. So you're probably better off without a whole lot. So there's that focus on real minimalistic living, sacrificial living, you know, give everything away if you have anything. So you don't open the door to the danger of having money yourself. Now, that being said, I mean, that, that's kind of, again, a big, uh, a short synopsis of a very complex theological overlay. I've worked through that my entire life, and I very much understand the principle of valuing things so that other people value them in return. As an example, if I charged $10 an hour for my coaching, I really doubt that anybody would take it very seriously because they would compare it to what other people who are paid $10 an hour offer in terms of their service. So last night, Joanne and I went to eat at a place that we have not been before. We probably were observing $12 an hour workers because their attitude was horrendous. Their service was atrocious. It was obvious they had no skin in the game. They were simply putting in time, hoping the time would pass quickly so they'd get a meager paycheck. Well, if your prices are low in line with a person who is can be observed like that, people aren't going to expect very much. So people equate cost with value. If it doesn't cost much, they don't perceive it as having much value. That's why, you know, coaches or other people who just give away what they do, it's not taken very seriously. I mean, my coaching results escalated exponentially when I started charging rather than just being the nice Sunday school teacher at church. I mean, I'd done a lot of coaching. But when I started, when I positioned myself then to be a coach instead of charging, wow, not only did I generate income, but the results that I saw escalated because people had skin in the game. They invested in something valuable in a process. And so they did what I suggested and carried through and got results. Now, here's, here's an example. And, and again, when you're doing construction work, electrical things like that, now, again, there are guidelines for what that ought to be where you can, I mean, my goodness, I mean, the electrical guys and plumbing guys around here, I mean, I know I'm going to be billed at $75 an hour for things like that. So you don't have to be a third of that, 
and expect that to be fair in it for anybody involved. So you can look at ways to have a realistic valuation of what you do. Here's an example. A few years ago, Joanna and I wanted some work done on our house. We've done lots of things over the years. We love our house and have done things to just make it a creative, artistic, beautiful place. But we had some guys doing a couple additions, porches, and I saw the work of one young Hispanic guy. I, I saw the quality of his work. And I kept giving him particularly more things to do. He finally came back to me on his own and said that he'd like to work just for me. He had been doing for us some stonework, stucco work, where he would put designs in it, and then stonework, stack stone. I decided to do some areas in our house of just stack stone based on the quality of work that I saw Ruben being able to do. When he approached me, speaking no English, he wrote on a napkin, he wrote $12 hour. And I said, no bueno, no bueno. Well, he was kind of taken aback, you know, rather prepared for, and he was probably making, you know, eight or $10 working under the people that he had been working under when he was doing work in my property previously. And I, I'm sure he was prepared for me to say, no, no, I'll pay him $8. Well, I didn't. I saw his $12 an hour and I said, no bueno. I crossed it out and wrote 15. Well, it was hard for him to understand to make sure he really got the message right. I said, no, I won't pay you $12 an hour. I'll pay you 15. Obviously he was elated and I had him work for me for four months. Um, He actually lived on our property during that period of time, but he would start at seven in the morning, work till seven at night and do that seven days a week, but uh, did beautiful, beautiful artistic work. Didn't want anybody to work with him because it would disrupt the flow of his creativity. But I wanted to pay him well. I wanted to bless him way beyond his expectations because the work he did was so good. You want that kind of relationship with people that you're doing work with. So set it up that way, but charge reasonably and then stick to it. Don't give discounts. I mean, there are things like even in the work that I do as a coach, you would think, well, what if I have some, what if I have a pastor who comes to me and wants coaching? Now, surely I've got a big enough heart to give a pastor a discount based on what I know about pastors, right? Well, I have never, ever given a pastor a discount. It's the same as a dentist or an attorney or a CEO of a company. Because it's an established amount that I have connected with my highest level coaching package. Pastors don't question that. I don't know that I've ever had anybody ask me for a discount. They recognize this has value. They, they typically know other people that I've worked with during the years. And they say, I want to do that. I want to know what my options are. I want to, oftentimes it's, I want to know an escape plan from this thing that I got into that is not what I expected it to be, but I don't give a discount. It's not that at all. If I'm, if I disc, I don't discount it. Now, if somebody wants a lesser, a service package, that's fine. Let's talk about that. If this is too much and Benny, you can do the same thing. If somebody says, well, golly, $3,500, you know, to build this little play house, you know, that's really uh, more than I expected. You know, would you do 2,500? Well, rather than just saying, oh, yeah, I guess I can make that work, say, well, no, you know, I can't have, you know, shutters on the windows. And we can't have this kind of door. You know, tell them what they can get for $2,500, but don't 
reduce what you had already proposed at being the price that you suggested? Well, great question, Gal. I love the concept. Let's move on. Grab a couple more here. Vera says, thanks ever so much for your continued responses in the 48 days podcast. I'm keen to generate multiple streams of income as you always advise. I'm often told I have the following skills, leadership, coaching, writing, asking meaningful and powerful questions. Are there ways I can monetize these skills? Yes, 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 and yes. Wow. Golly, Vera, when you ask about those things, leadership, coaching, writing, asking meaningful and powerful questions. I mean, those are the very things that I've certainly monetized. I mean, the things that I do, writing eBooks, having courses, seminars, live events. I mean, I've got online courses. Um, I've got books, obviously. I do coaching. We have live events where people come here. We have a coaching mastery program where we teach other people how to become coaches. I have a 48 days mastermind. We have the 48 days Eagles community. Those are all things that engage my desire to lead, coach, and write. Exactly the things you're talking about. Feel free to browse through the things that I do and ask me more questions about that. But those are all ways that I've monetized the very things that you're talking about. Well, I could park there for a long time, but I hope that hope that it encourages you. Now, here's the deal. I went to your links that you had in there. You are an amazing interviewer and writer. You have a ton of content out there authority, your site, insights from authors. I loved reading. Golly, I got pulled in. I kept reading through the interviews that you've done with authors. That's great content. The site that you have, She Distinction, Wisdom to Help Women Advance and Rise. My gosh, that's awesome. You've got some real great leaders in there and wisdom to share with others. I suspect your challenge is how are you getting that message out? How are you engaging more people to participate in the conversations? Now, something I've done, like with the 40 Days Eagles community, is primarily for that. What you have to realize is that creating content, creating a product, and trying to push it out there to people is maybe 50% of the process. Really, the important 50% is how can you create community? How can you create conversations among people who are interested in the content that you have? If you can do that, it'll accelerate everything else that you've done. So last year, we launched the 48 Days Eagles community. A lot of you are in there. A lot of you are listening or already in there. If you're not, please check it out, 48dayseagles.com. But I did that to do exactly what you're asking about here, to give people a place to have a sense of community where they know they're not alone, where if they're having a rough day, they can share and somebody else says, wow, this is what I did when I was in that situation. Or when they're saying, I need an idea for a blog and they'll have 10 people give them ideas or they need a resource. So they have already written and they want to pull it together. Like our buddy Cliff Feitner did with the poems. He now has that in a book. Because he connected with other people in the 48 Days Eagles community who could help him with copy editing, you know, with the editing itself, with the layout, and then with the publishing. Those are all people that he connected with in the 48 Days Eagles community that, that said, hey, I can help you with that. And now he has a book. 
That's the power of community. So I would look for something like that where you have more a sense of community where you bring people together. Even the podcast. I mean, I try to create that kind of connection with the podcast where it's not just one directional. I mean, that's why I hear from so many of you and I want to continue that. It's not just me interviewing somebody and just pushing that content out. It's me responding to you, the listeners questions, excuse me. And so we discuss those here and that's what we want to do. So you can do the same thing, Vera, with things that you already have in place. Now you have another question here. You say on one of your recent podcasts, you referred to someone having repackaged information and sold on Amazon and made about $29,000. This is something I could do as I'm planning on writing some mini books this year anyway. Any suggestions on how I might be able to do this, especially setting it up well on Amazon? Yes. Now again, I've got, there's two parts. We have people crawling all over in the 48 Days Eagles community. And I'm not just promoting that, but I'm just saying it's so easy to connect with people in there who have expertise in these areas. Aaron Kerr, who did the course on public domain content that you're referring to, he's the one that put together Anne of Green Gables stories. And in the first 60 days made $29,000. It's gone on way up from there since then. But he's a master in taking things that are in the public domain. So not even things that you have to think up, struggle over or write, pulls together, makes those available, and has done extremely well with that. His course he offered his course over the the Christmas holiday for $48. I'm not sure if it's still at that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes today. It's kind of a long URL. Um, you, if you can find it, that's fine. Aaron Kerr, Public Domain Publishing. You can just check it out. But I'll put a link so you can go right to that. But I would highly recommend that. I mean, Joanna and I got it. We spent a Saturday morning just sitting down, just going through it. I mean, taking notes. We got so many ideas about how to do that ourselves. So we're excited about that. But again, there, when you talk about how to get things on Amazon in 40 Days Eagles community, we have people like Ryan Rieger. He is an expert on how to get things up on Amazon. Um, you know, he, he's done a lot with private label, other things. You can do the same. So make sure that you're linking arms with people who are on the same path. I mean, that is what you have to do. All right. Got a question here from Eric. Dan, I've been a podcast listener for a long time. I've done my best to follow the method suggested in 48 Days to the Work You Love, but without the hoped-for success. I genuinely know that I have a lot to offer as an employee, but even though I reach out to potential employers with confidence and enthusiasm, I almost never get any response in return. I can think of any number of reasons as to why this might be, but you said on a podcast, perhaps my resume is not grabbing attention as well as it might. If you have the time, I would appreciate your input or a nudge in the right direction. I love providing service and making the lives of my fellow employees easier. So I'm eager to find work I love that will help my family meet our financial goals. Thank you so much for opening my eyes to new possibilities. All right, Eric, I pulled up your resume. I've got it right here in my hand. I printed it off. I've got here all three pages in my hand. A resume is at best 10% of the process. There are a lot of companies today that don't even care about seeing a resume. They want to see a recent project you did. They want to see your online presence. They'll go to your LinkedIn profile. You know, they want to see what Google tells them about you. You know, those are things that as much as we may resist social media, you know, you've got to be engaged 
in order for people to take you seriously. That being said, your resume is really good. Your resume is well done. I really have no suggestions for improving your resume. You have at the top the technical qualifications, programming languages, relevant experience you've got. You've got really great qualifications, clearly identified. And then professional skill sets, technical communication. And you talk about that. Success-driven perseverance. Wow. Efficiency. I have a great passion for finding efficient means to accomplish objectives. Blah, blah, blah. And you talk about specific things that you've done. It's really well done. I really doubt the resume is your challenge, but I suspect it is more the process that you're using. Now, I already said a resume is never more than maybe 10% of the process at best, but what you want to do is have a process in place where you bypass just the details of your resume. And that includes There's a three-step process that I lay out in 48 Days to the Work You Love. Incidentally, I need to check with you, Eric. If you do not have a current copy, um, I'll send a copy out to you, the the new version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. But I lay out clearly in there a three-step process. Number one, send a letter of introduction. Now, this is something that people typically don't do. It requires nothing of the person receiving it. It just simply is introducing yourself. This is my background. After looking at what your company does, I think there's a potential match. I'm going to be sending you my cover letter and resume in the next four or five days. That's all it does. It just announces that. But what it does, it starts to put you on the radar. I mean, we know that in marketing, if you can get somebody to see or hear your message three times, the response rate goes up dramatically. That's what you want to do. Once is never enough. So the number two step then after sending a letter of introduction is to send a cover letter and resume. And that's what most people are used to is sending a cover letter and resume. So do that, make it excellent as yours is. I'm sure your cover letter that goes along with this is excellent as well. Then number three is the phone follow up, pick up the phone and follow up. That's the distinguishing factor that often gets people opportunities they would never in a million years get otherwise. Gee, Dan, I'm following up on the resume I sent you a couple days ago. You know, I just wanted to make sure that you've got it. See if you have any questions. You know, I'm going to be over in your neighborhood tomorrow morning about 1030. I'd love to just pop in and say hi. You'd be amazed how many people say, okay, what you did is just make their work a whole lot easier. Rather than having to weed through the 346 resumes sitting on their desk, Gee, you sent it okay on the phone? Yeah, just go ahead and pop in. We've seen that work again and again and again. I've encur- I've coached people to show up in the parking lot, you know, at 6.43 a.m. when we know the boss pulls in every morning into his parking place. I've had him show up there. Is that intrusive? I don't know, maybe. But it gets results. Don't be afraid to be creative at times like this, but it's the combination of those things. Send an introduction letter, cover letter and resume and phone follow-up where we get those stories week after week after week about people saying, gee, I got four job offers. Gee, I got five job offers. There's a chapter in 48 days. I got six job offers. And that's from a young man who was starting out in a workplace, really had no work history to bring to the table, but he knew how to follow this system and he did it with excellence. We know that if you just send a cover letter and resume, 
statistically, it requires 254 to get a job offer from doing that. 254. Most people never come close to that kind of number. If you have a process where you've identified the 30 or 40 companies that are really key candidates for what it is that you do, you know there's a potential match, and then you go through this system, you sequence this so you can do it in a timely manner and really follow up with the phone calls, send a letter of introduction, number one, send cover letter and resume, number two, phone follow-up, number three, you do that, we see results one out of 14. You do that with 14 companies, it's pretty inconceivable that you're not going to get a job offer. So I suspect, Eric, it's not your resume. I'm confident it's not your resume, but I suspect it's the process that you're using that is really keeping you from getting the success that you want. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it right there. Well, I I love this time of year. I hope you do as well. You know, here we are, we're, we're already at a point where you can start to get some feedback on, are you moving toward the goals that you outlined for 2018? I mean, we've already got almost one twelfth of the year behind us to look and say, wow, am I making the progress? If you wanted to write 52 blogs, have you written four? If you haven't written four, hey, you're a little off track. Don't beat yourself up, but get in the game. But it's, this is a point where you can start to get have a checkpoint already to see, am I on track? And when I talk about goals, I mean, I'm talk, talk, talking about things that, you know, feel cumbersome and that remove all the spontaneity from life. No, they do exactly the opposite. They allow you to be the very best that God has put in you and allow you to be spontaneous because you're doing things that matter rather than just wasting time. But I want to go back as we wrap up here. I want to go back and just hit on our inspirational quotation from Tony Robbins one more time, because I really want you to understand this. People are not lazy. If you think you're lazy, like Jeremy, our caller, our listener today, no, people are not lazy. They simply have impotent goals. That is goals that do not inspire them. Wow. If you find that you're not inspired to go to work, it's connected to a goal that doesn't inspire you. It's somebody else's goal. Or it's something that you artificially picked up, thinking that you could make it work. Don't beat yourself up like that. Golly, when I get up in the morning, wow. I mean, this morning, I got up, I had a really great night's sleep. There's some exciting things coming up the next two days here at the sanctuary. I mean, I couldn't wait to get over here and get to work. I, I hesitate even using the word work because people usually connect that with something distasteful. It shouldn't be that. Nobody has to tell me, Dan, it's time to be over at your office. Dan, it's time to do the next podcast. Dan, it's time to write the next blog. Those are things I love doing. Those inspire me. So it's not a hardship that I have to force myself through. I want you to be in that same place where there are things that you're doing that inspire you so much. You can't wait to do them. That's the power of having work that you love. Hey, thanks for being part of this growing community. If you, you know, one of the things that makes us work is the sense of community. Golly, if you haven't yet, if you could jump over to iTunes and leave a review, you know, your comments. I mean, I read every single one of those. I really value the input that I get from you guys, the community, this input where we're all on the same path together of finding or creating work that we love. 
thanks for your ongoing notes. I mean, certainly I appreciate the compliments, but I appreciate the criticism as well. It helps me be better. So keep it coming. Thanks for being part of this amazing community that we're all part of. Have a great week.